0: I'm very passionate about helping either bring women into the industry, into the construction industry, or help them stay. And so there's many different things that go with that because, you know, I look at the top four reasons why women leave the industry, which, of course, are, you know, family obligations, toxic environments, lack of opportunity, and then also being passed over for advancement. And when I see those, I want to be able to address those things so that women have an option to stay. So one of those things, of course, is helping them become uh, self-employed, if that's something they're interested in.
1: Hey, Construction Nation, welcome to Lead with Trust. I'm Sue Dyer, and I've been on a three-decade journey to figure out how to make sure our construction projects succeed and produce some extraordinary results. My trusted leader journey has led me to work on over 4,000 construction projects worth over $180 billion. In this podcast, I'm here to teach you everything I've learned. One thing I know is that it starts with the leaders of the businesses and organizations that come together to build a project. If that's you, let's get going. Construction Nation. This is Sue Dyer, and you're listening to Lead with Trust Podcast. And today we have a great guest, Cora Lee Beatty from Thrive HQ. And she has a great background that I think will be so helpful in our big bringing women into construction series. She ran a plumbing company with her husband and then sold it. And now she helps other women in the trades who might be interested in starting their own business. And I think that she has many lessons learned and a lot of great insights. So I'm excited for you to listen to this episode. Well, we are here today with Coralie Beatty, and I am so excited to have her. She's a new friend for me, but I'm really, really intrigued by her background and what she's doing. And so she is another part of our Bringing Women into Construction series. So welcome, Gora. Thank you for having me, Sue. I really am happy to be here. So, Coralie, tell us, you know, what is it that you have in your company, which is a so intriguing name, Thrive Headquarters. I want some yeah. of that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what? And it's that's the thing. It's I worked with a branding person because I'm not a... Um, um, I'm more logistics and organizing and structure and all of those yummy things. I'm not creative. And so I worked with somebody and she gave me some ideas. And as soon as I saw Thrive HQ, I'm like, oh, that's it. Because I just want people to thrive. Like I When I'm writing my goals and I'm doing my things, thriving comes into it a lot. And um, so when I saw that, it's like right away, I I want people to come in and find a way so that they can find relief. They can find some um, ability and way to thrive in their business and in their life. I just think that it's such a critical uh, thing for everybody just to enjoy. So that I think it's a perfect word suits everything that I kind of stand for.
1: So and that is the actual name of your business. Is that right? That's correct. So tell us about your business. What the heck are you doing? Well, you know what? I do many things because
0: I, I'm very passionate about helping either bring women into the industry, into the construction industry, or help them stay. And so there's many different things that go with that because, you know, I look at the top four reasons why women leave the industry, which of course are, you know, family obligations, toxic environments, lack of opportunity, and then also being passed over for advancement. And when I see those, I want to be able to address those things so that women can have an option to stay. So one of those things, of course, is helping them become uh, self-employed if that's something they're interested in, because I don't recommend it for everybody. If you're not really interested and intrigued by the idea of being self-employed, I don't recommend it. It's hard on the good days, you know, so if you're not like hard into it, then it can be very difficult. So self-employment is one thing, but then I also do things like leadership training to help them become a leader in their own life, but also in their position, whether they're in an official leadership role or not. I think learning those skills on how to be a leader in whatever position you have just helps you communicate better and be more confident in the role that you have. So that's another thing I do. And then I also do confidence training because, again, that kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of the leadership things. And that's one of the biggest challenges I see with the women that I work with is uh, there's a lot of fear in what they're doing and a lack of confidence. So I do training on that front. And then I do speaking engagements as well, where, whether it be on, you know, I do a lot of Zoom on panels for associations within the industry. So speaking. Coaching, consulting, and um, training is kind of the, the, all the things that I do to help support women and men, really, because in these training for the leadership, especially, I go into organizations where, you know, they're often led by men, but I, I help within their organization to help them become
1: either a better leader or help them, their
0: people to understand how to be better leaders.
1: Yeah. Well, everyone needs that. And there's always uh, the next level to be taken. Mm. Uh, no matter where you are, more to learn. Always. So, so I just want to go drive back a little bit into your background. And I, I saw that you sold a seven-figure construction company. So tell us a little bit about your journey into selling a company and how you grew it to seven figures, etc. It was a, so many lessons learned. Like as we started from the ground up, and
0: my background was construction. My husband was a plumber by trade. And I was a master organizer and I had corporate experience. And so there was a lot of things that gave us a good starting point. And so we're like, we can do this. So we kind of jumped into it. My husband was the labor to begin with, but we grew really quickly. And one of the tips that I'd actually like to give to anybody who is thinking about starting their own business, one of the things that we did, because I think one of the fears or concerns is being able to you know, have enough work to begin with. And what we did making that transition is we um, subcontracted my husband's labor Uh, to some of what we called our friendly competitors, people that we weren't going to be taking their business from them. They were just going to be, you know, giving him work while we were kind of making that transition. So he was in control of his hours and still could work on his business on the side. Everybody knew that he was building his own thing, but they supported him because they needed the, the labor. And that is such a shortage right now that a lot of companies are willing to take people on to help the labor with whatever they can. So don't be afraid to offer your labor for people while you're bu- building your business and your own clientele. So that's what we did in the beginning, you know, for my husband to do that. And I was still working in the engineering firm doing building envelope consulting and we sort of started transitioning my husband into full time on his own. And the first few years was really easy because we had the work. And we had the money coming in. It was just like, we were good at this. We were good. But then we started hiring people. And then it was okay. It was definitely okay still for probably until we got to 8 eight to 10-ish employees. My you know, managing skills and my um, juggling skills were still good enough. And I had retired from the engineering firm. I was no longer uh, working. Out. I was working full time in the business. However, there was probably right around the $1 to $1.5 million mark where it was difficult like that was like the suffocating part of our business we didn't have a business coach cuz way back in those days i didn't even know they existed so i was trying to figure it all out on my own and all of a sudden you know the business stuff that i didn't have that background in that started to come bite me in the butt and those kind of when we were in years 6 to 9 or 10 that was very difficult it was very difficult because we were growing quickly. We didn't have the skills or the systems in place to actually manage the growth. And it was, it was very challenging, like tightness in my chest every day, just, you know, pulling money from here and putting it there. And, you know, going through 2008 was a challenge when things started, to, when everything changed in the economy. So we went through a lot of challenges. But we always made it through. We always made it through. And we always figured it out. Then we found, and I found out about business coaches. And I was like, "Oh, it was like the answer to my dreams." I was like, "I never knew this existed." And when we invested in that, the, our very first time, it was it was like I just cried because all of a sudden I just felt this massive relief that I didn't have to do it anymore on my own. It was just like always hitting a brick wall, and it was a huge investment. But we knew that we needed to do it because we wouldn't be able to go forward without it. So getting on with a um, coaching consultant when we did helped us just get things organized and sorted and systematized and put us really in a position to sell our business because without all of the organization that we had and putting things like recurring revenue in place and you know just those bits and pieces that make you a saleable trades business we were able to put those in place and um after an additional i guess it was probably 5 years or so having you know taken the time to put things in place we were in a position to sell and we and believe me when we we were looking at the potential of selling when the time came we were just kind of investigating and researching but it was just one morning we were in the office it, because life was still challenging don't get me wrong it was no piece of cake we weren't free from the business we were still working a lot the challenge we had was hiring people that was... We had a ton of work. And the location we worked in where the well, most of our work was, we didn't have... like People couldn't afford to live there. It's a, it's one of the most affluent neighborhoods in Canada. And a tradesperson, no matter how much we paid them, couldn't afford to live there. So everybody had to commute. And the commute was hell because there's a lot of construction and a lot of workers coming in. So we couldn't hire people. And um, we were 530... On a Saturday morning in the office working, and we get this text from our best plumber at the time. He was our most skilled, and he used to send us these in the middle of the night texts randomly where he would just go off and tell us how horrible we were and all of this stuff. And it was, just... and it was the first time that we were both on the same page where my husband said to me, He said, I just can't do this anymore. And I said, Let's not. And um, that was the beginning of us, you know, selling the business because. We just, he was working too many hours. We were putting the things in place, but we never got to that, like finish getting to that point where we were aiming to be because of the lack of people. So we experienced it, you know, most of our, most of our business life. It was, you know, lack of people, which still exists today.
1: So were you doing commercial or residential? residential? Mostly residential. residential. We did some like commercial, but mostly residential, high end. Yeah. And that can be very challenging in and of itself because it takes a different kind of person who can actually do the customer care. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that that can be challenging. So great that you put the systems into place, but you know, I, I know as an entrepreneur myself, because um, I started my business in 1986, so it's been a long time. And I sold it at the end of 2020. Mm. And one of the things that probably at around 5, 10 years for me you begin to realize that you have to completely shift your paradigm mm-hmm. of your business for it to not be around you, and that you become irrelevant. And so, then that takes a while, and then it, and then it begins to become the business, and it's not you. And uh, and every single entrepreneur on the planet goes through that at some stage. I mean, I guess if you're a Silicon Valley startup, maybe you start with a group of people. I'm not sure, but I still think you you have to go through that. And then the next stage that that goes with that is putting in the systems and processes that support the growth.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I, you can only grow to the level of the systems and processes you have. And and um, but it, was it fun to have your own business? or was oh, it always stressful
0: it was i'm going to say most of the time i was always focused on the business there was all it wasn't always stressful and i had a really great team like the people that we had i loved them they were like family to me and when we first started bringing people on like not just like when i started bringing on support for me and like in the admin part of it that to me was because there were people i spent obviously all day with and I really connected with the people that I hired, and you know who were with us long term. And I really uh, enjoyed that. The idea, obviously I wasn't working with the um, trades, the actual skilled people, all that much because they were out all day. But whenever they come back, you know there were some of our employees that we were. Um, I was like a mom to them, like that. We just had really strong relationships, and to me, that was the best part. And I really enjoyed that. You know, whenever we did get together as a group outside of doing the work, like just, you know, we'd have a barbecue on a Friday afternoon or something like that. I always enjoyed the conversations in the company and just getting along. So it certainly had fun. Definitely was fun. You know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, although I didn't know it for a lot of years. I, I really enjoy, you know, having a business, doing the things, watching it grow. And especially seeing as I, you know, so much that I've learned in all of the years, just, you know, so much, there was so much learning.
1: Yeah, I know for me, and you know, I was the executive director of a construction trade association. This is back 40 some years ago. And just being surrounded by construction entrepreneurs, it was so contagious mm-hmm. that, you know, there was just no way I wasn't going to be an entrepreneur myself. It's like, and especially in construction, because some of these people, had an eighth grade education, grew up on a farm. One guy had gone to Vietnam and was the only survivor of some really bad things that had happened and was so mad that the United States was so messed up that he said, well, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be a millionaire. And so he did that and he he could identify projects that he called sleepers. And he said, look, in this one, and he showed me, see, I made an 80% profit on this one. See, I made 100% profit on this one. And it's like, he was, I just learned from so many of them that it's just buy your bootstraps, by what you know, what you learn, what you innovate. It's true entrepreneurship. It's really exciting. So I know you've worked with enough people now. Who do you think is a good fit? Like if you're in the trades now or or your family is in the trades and you're thinking about starting your own business, construction business, who have you found is a good fit for that role? To actually start your own business, I think there is tenacity like
0: that is a big, big trait to have just the grit, the perseverance, patience, the you know, there's there's so many things that arise on your journey through being a business owner in the construction industry, just having that never giving up, always knowing that there's a way because there always is and having a positive attitude, because I tell you, the people that I speak with that, that struggle with looking at things positively, it's heavy. It's really heavy. and makes difficult a lot. It makes business a lot more difficult, but if you can, you know, just have a positive outlook, it helps everything because you all, you can look at things like those challenges that come up because inevitably they do. When they come up, you can say, what is this teaching me? What am I learning from this instead of, Oh God, I can't believe this happened again. You know, like it's, it just, it really helps in just taking the lessons and keep on moving is it's really important.
1: Yeah. The people that I've seen that are really successful, love it. Hmm. Yeah. They, they eat, sleep, drink, Think about it; they they love it, and you know what's not to like about that. <laughs> oh, exactly. <definitely. laughs> Hope you're enjoying this show. Every time you and your team step foot onto a construction project, you bring your business culture with you. For any construction project to succeed, there must be a high-trust culture. It doesn't matter if you're in planning, design, construction, or startup phases. The more trust you bring and build, the better your results. I've created a free resource for you, the Trusted Leader Profile, so you can know exactly the level of trust you bring to your business and projects and what you can do to boost trust. You can grab that at sudicocom slash profile. That's S-U-D-Y-C-O dot slash profile, P-R-O-F-I-L-E. And I hope that you'll remember that always high trust equals high performance. And it really depends on you. Now back to the show. Selling your business, you know, not everyone in construction does that. And so tell us a little bit of insights and lessons you learned around preparing for the sale, finding a buyer, getting through the sale. That'd be really interesting. Ours
0: was, you know, it was not because
1: we were the coaching
0: group that we were part of. um, It was group coaching there was we were in these little pods and our coach the morning that we decided that we were going to be selling because we had we had started the process ahead of time as far as just knowing the things that we needed to have in place but it just kind of got really um chopped like just like all of a sudden we made that decision and now we're just going to do it so from the time we made that decision to the time we did it was a very short period of time like i'm talking a week and a half from the beginning of let's do this to it being sold And that's because all of the preparation that we did ahead of time, knowing what we needed to to do to put a business in a position to sell. And that is things like having recurring revenue, taking yourself out of the equation, having systems in place where, you know, people know how things operate without you necessarily having to direct them. And I tell you that this, none of this was perfect. It was not perfect. And, um, but they, they were all, you know, pieces were put in place and there was a structure and a system was, you know, visible. So that was really what we were um, in a position to do. And it did happen quickly. So we didn't have to go through the long process of, you know, brokering and finding people and, you know, negotiating and all of the things that typically happen. You know, basically, it was a handshake over a a meeting that we had, we, you know, I sent them the information that they wanted. And this is how we look. And this is what we're operating at. And, you know, it came together. So it was we were, I, I can't, I can't say how very Fortunate we were with the way it played out because I know that it can be a very long, drawn out process for some people. And I'm also very like the gratitude that I have every day that I think about it because we're coming up on our five year anniversary of it. So much gratitude for the way everything played out because it couldn't have been more perfect for what we needed.
1: So, this person or the company that purchased you was someone that you already knew and you knew already knew was interested. Yeah. So, they're, what's that? And they were already interested.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: And so our coach. Even when
0: we were working with our coach, we told him, you know, this is what we're we, we were planning on just shutting down. Like we're just like we were, you know, done. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, we can do something with this. Can I make some phone calls? Can I, you know, tell some people? I'm like, of course you can. I mean, if we can do something with this, of right. course we will. And so you know, that's how it all. So started. we networked it. Yeah, yeah. Because a
1: lot of people um, in construction, they uh, right now it's interesting. I've been seeing. Uh, venture capitalists coming in, private equity purchasing a lot of construction, particularly trades, and then maybe uh, consolidating a particular area with the trades. I've been seeing a lot of that, and uh, and then of course it's always ESOPs providing there's enough money, so um, and then selling to the leadership team. So just want to give people some ideas that when you build it, there is a way to exit. Mm-hmm. And to and have and have that pay off for you. And when I work with people so, thinking about starting their business,
0: that's exactly where we start. How do you want this to end? Because if you can get into it with your, you know, your end goal in mind, then it just changes the way you start things. And if you can start things with that in mind, life can be a whole lot easier, just easier. You know, you just already
1: know which way you have to go. So, yes, I, I think that's true. It's true of everything in life and very true in your business. For me, when I started my business, I wanted it to last 100 years at least. Oh, wow! So everything was built around that, and and even when I sold it, it's built so you've got the next 35 years. Then you'll then you'll hand it off to someone else. So it's all structured that way. Nice. So so how did you end up choosing construction? I know your your husband was in it. How did he choose construction? And I know you were doing engineering. Tell us more about that. So. I'll make a long story short. I've loved construction
0: my whole life. I didn't have family around me that did it. I just wandered onto a construction site when I was about six or seven years old and the smells and the, and the feels and the sound and just walking around and wondering, you know, who's going to live here and what's it going to look like. And all of those things that like that sparked the flame, like that was for me, the beginning of it. And I didn't even really realize it, but it started me on this path of, you know, always looking at houses and checking out what was going on and, admiring houses that I drove by and then looking at floor plans and getting magazines and then sketching my own floor plans and just a whole progression of things. But then when I got to high school, it's like none of that stuff that I always spend my time doing even occurred to me to do as a career. It is so interesting because I loved it, loved it but never put it together as that would be something I'd do for a career. So when I left high school, went into university, I took psychology and criminology because I wanted to help people. And I wanted to do that in the criminal justice system. So after, you know, I think it was in my fourth year of university, I, I, I made, there was this realization that I, there was too much emotion involved with psychology and criminology. You know, it's something that's very hard to separate from and leave at the office. And I was like, I don't think this is what I couldn't identify with the people that I was trying to help. Like I was, I was so far removed from their childhood and how they were brought up, and I was just like, this. I feel like an imposter here. Like I can't help you because I wasn't in your shoes. Like that was how I felt. So I ended up leaving that, and I was just like, why don't I pursue construction? It was more like the other way around. It's like this opportunity came up with uh, the school where they had a low enrollment. This because they usually have a wait list. I called them the first week of class, and they're like, well, we actually have space if you want to join. I was like. Okay. So over the weekend, I decided to quit university, quit my job that I had and start school full time at uh, the our technical school. So that's how I made that transition. And um, it was like the first time in my whole life, I actually loved learning. I was just like, this was so exciting because it was what I really enjoyed. And I it's part of why the reason I homeschool my kids and I always have is because I want them to love to learn, not just do it cuz they have to, like actually enjoy that experience because I never did until I got to like not just university but it was after that. Yeah. You know, where I was like, "Oh, you can actually enjoy learning." Who knew? So, um anyway, that's how I got into construction and my husband, he actually fell into it. He went to university and I we say that he majored in jeopardy because he took like political science and um I don't know, history and literature or something. And he ended up digging ditches when he left university and became a plumber and just took that uh, that route. So that was, oh, 30 years ago. Yeah, 30 years ago. And so, you know, he he's definitely made a great career of it. He loves to learn. He loves to learn. He does a lot of research and he's always kind of kept ahead on the innovative scale for his industry. He does a lot of HVAC stuff. He's moved around and he's, you know, he's become very technically strong, with the, the industry and he teaches and he does a lot of different things. So uh, we both kind of came into it differently.
1: That's awesome. So what has been your experience as a woman working in construction? Uh, I know not mostly in the field, but you're dealing with field folks and, mm-hmm. and now as a consultant. So
0: when I was in, you know, on, on site regularly, I didn't have a lot of negative experience. Like I was, I was in sort of this position of authority as such. So I didn't, I always approached it from, I need to learn from you. I never approached it as you need to do this. You need to listen to me because I think I would have had a whole lot more challenges if I put like this facade up. It was like, I know everything and you need to do these things. I took it as a, you know, I want to learn from you and I respect how long you've been doing this for because everybody says, you know, I've been doing it like this for 20 years. I know you have. Let's, you know, this is why we're changing things. So I always approached it from communicating and learning and being open-minded to what they had to say. I never shut them down. So that was, I think doing that helped me to gain some respect. However, I would come to site some days, and little notes would be written on the wall, which were very clearly directed at me and they weren't nice. So they, you know, were fine to my face and then, you know, I'd have these little messages written to me and I'd be like, you know what? I I never took it personally. I you know, I can't do anything about that. However they perceive the situation, I'm just here to do my job. We're trying to work together to have a successful project. So I just ignored the messages. I didn't, you know, entertain them. I didn't tell people. I wasn't it was just whatever because it never impacted my site work. They did what they needed to do. However, they needed to do that. And then, as a business owner, most of the times, whenever I did go to site, you know people think I'm either the owner of the house or I was the architect or the designer or whatever, or they would be wondering, why are you here? You know, why are you talking to the plumber? You know those kinds of things. So I would people had a really hard time seeing me as the business owner on a construction site um, for the trades. I, I was never given a hard time about it. It just was, you know, the way it was. I was, uh, again, always felt like I was respected because I think it was the way I approach things as far as just communicating and being open-minded. I think that those are really important to, you know, just have effective communication and hear the people that are in the conversation. And so I, um, that that was, that's mostly fine. And then as a business owner with the people that I work with, I see a lot of them struggle with imposter syndrome, which I think is really interesting because I certainly experienced it in my university years being that imposter. And I I mean, we all experience it. Let's be like everybody experiences it. I still experience it now. However, um, it's something that I talk like imposter syndrome, the fear and the confidence, those things that I see almost every day with the women that I work with, because they feel like, you know, being a woman in a male dominated space, naturally, they feel like they don't belong. So we work a lot on those conversations. Because it's um, it's challenging, but I remind them of you know their story with that we need them. Like I, it's not just because we need bodies, not just because we need any labor. We need female influence labor in the industry. Like it has been missing for way too long, and we need that especially now with the new, the new kids and generations coming in that no longer operate the way that the construction industry is known to operate, which is, you know, that whole, the fear lead, the, the fear-based leader kind of thing. Yes. Yes.
1: So what do you, I, I, my background has been always in uh, commercial construction, large, complex projects. And, uh, and I love that yours has been in like more home building What do you see as some of the barriers to women coming in? And you talked about the four things you saw, but what's inside? What do you see about those? Put a little more meat on the bones of those things. The four things that, you know,
0: why women are leaving, you know, number one thing being family obligations. And I think that's a lack of flexibility within their position. And I know for me, when I was employed in the engineering firm, and that's when I did a lot of commercial work, actually, was when I was with the engineering firm. It wasn't, so, wasn't home so much at that point. But that's what I found. Even if it was more guilt on my part, if I needed to go be with my kid for whatever reason, I was feeling guilty. So I had a really good employer who was very understanding. But it was me who was just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like I just felt like Ugh! it was very... It was difficult for me. And there aren't employers. There's not a, you know, we, I was very fortunate to have a good employer. There are some employers that just don't even, you know, give you that time and flexibility to be able to take care of your family matters. And there's sometimes you just gotta go. That is one of the the biggest things. And you know, of course, day it's a simple things as it's not even taking a sick day. It's things like daycare doesn't open earlier enough, or you can't pick them up late enough, or just there isn't the resources available to do the things that we need to do to stay in the industry. As far as the toxic environments, I think that kind of speaks for itself as far as not being respected on site. And I, I think that I think the source of that is really a lot of fear and uncertainty in the male position. Of course, all of this, I one of the things I talk to my people about often is that it's not about you, how somebody responds to you, regardless of the situation is not about you it's about them it's about their perception about their experience about their life about their beliefs so don't take it personally and i know that that's really hard but i really talk a lot about that is just it is not personal no matter how personal it feels it's not about you so i think the source of the challenge is the male side of this and i know that we have a lot of leaders that are allies for us and i think that that is great and we need to work with them to come up with these solutions but it is not a short term quick answer It's like changing a whole mindset for people to actually
1: welcome women into those positions. Well, I think what my experience was you have to help them know how because they really don't know how. And so you have to sort of help them know how to deal with you, how to treat you, Uh, because there's a lot of real benefits of having a woman who's unusual because then you can embed some new norms. Mm,
0: It's true. That is absolutely true. And I think that's the thing is that I think awareness, education and helping, because I don't think it's always intentional. They're operating, you know, from the uncertainty. And when you, and when you have that uncertainty, you just kind of,
1: you go to that fear base. It's discomfort. Hmm. You're not my wife. You're not my mother. You're not my sister. You're not my aunt. I don't really know how to treat you. You're not the dude that I'm used to working with. I, I yeah, I, I'm I'm in I'm in unchartered territory here. I'm not sure what to do. Yeah, and I don't want to get in trouble. Hmm.
0: Well, it's true. They they're trying to figure it out. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I think that training goes a long way for that uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and what's then what's the third thing? The lack of opportunity. I think what happens often, and I think a lot of women. Uh, we'll go through. I'll just use a union for example, union positions and a lot of its commercial work, and they will get s- positioned into a thing like this is just what you're going to do, whether it be sweeping or, you know, doing canning, you know, just putting holes in the slabs or, you know, whatever it is. They get put into something and they just get stuck with that for an extended period of time, never given the opportunity to try new things. And I don't know that that's necessarily intentional. I think that. I don't know. But I think that's a tough one because, you know, it takes a leadership, like a good leader to see the opportunity. But at the same time, uh, I don't know that that leadership exists as far and wide as we need it to, to see, you know, to give opportunity equally across the board. So I think women are just kind of not given the opportunity to try new things.
1: And it's I just... probably true because uh, if you are concerned that, this person can't succeed, and you found a where someplace they are succeeding, then you might not want to move them out of that place. But I think the same thing happens to the men on the projects, too. They get pigeonholed into an area and and if if a lot of construction owners are not very leadership oriented development oriented, I mean, if you ask them, how much money do you spend on training? They'll go like, well, what's, I don't do any training. That's up to the union. That's up to the guys, whatever, you know. So there's not a lot of development. I think that's something that we just, they started even thinking about, well, development's important. (laughs) It is. Particularly in this day and age, we have so many jobs that are not filled. Yes. And this is the thing is that when
0: you can train and develop your people, like they just contribute more to your, your organization on a whole, like they just become more well-rounded, more, you know, more developed people. So, I mean, you, you're only benefiting yourself and you're only going to like the ROI on that kind of investment is, um, is high when your people really are interested because there are people out there that just don't care to be better. But when you have the people, if you're hiring appropriately, which is, you know, according to your values and to have people come in who want to be there and contribute and all of those things, then there's the potential that by helping them grow and develop, they're actually increasing your bottom line. Yeah. So what's the fourth thing? So the fourth thing is lack of advancement. And I think that... um, I don't know if it. I think it's easy to default to you know the female as the mother is going to be off having kids. Like I think it's easy to default to that potential why people are overlooked for advancement and women. I shouldn't say people. We're talking about women specifically here. Why women are overlooked for advancement. However, I don't necessarily think that that's the case, and I and I don't blame women as such. But I think there are a lot of women who easily default to stereotypes. And, you know, they're judging against me and all that because they are female. So I don't think that this is just a male treating women improperly issue. I think it's women assuming that they're being treated this way improperly. So I think that women could do themselves a favor by doing training in advancement and doing things that put them in a better position to be qualified for advancement. So I think this one is a tricky one because one, it's not necessarily done intentional, but there could definitely be some, you know, things about, well, babies and taking leave and not being here, those things. Um, But then also I think it's upon the women's responsibility to make sure that they're actually qualified for the positions that they want to be chasing to put themselves in a position to be trained and um, appropriately qualified. For those that sounds a, a little bit up.
1: like a sounds a little bit like a self fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I also think that um, what I see is there are places in the industry where there can be more flexibility, and there's other places where there really you really can't. I mean, if you're going to be paving a highway, it's going to happen in the middle of the night. And the crew is going to be depending on you.
0: That's true. I agree that there are just, you know, there's ideas where, you know, to have a flexible schedule or to be able to provide these benefits to your people to be able to do things. And when we're trying, when we're bringing women into the industry, we're not trying to bring them into more office positions. We hold enough of those. It's like we're trying to bring them into the field. So absolutely, I agree that there are limitations to the flexibility that is necessarily available. But I think there's also possibility to be innovative and, you know, maybe to work on some sort of adjusted schedule within. You know. I think
1: so. When, one of my interviews I did was with Mary Tykert from Tykert Construction. And she was talking about how maybe there's a path that women could take during their, when they actually are having their children, where they could work like in estimating or something like that, and then go back out to the field uh, when they were ready. Maybe you just have to create a path for that to happen. And she is working in heavy highway. So in a building envelope, it's, it's easier because you can, you can work all around. There's a little bit more flexibility. Um, I know that that worked
0: for me because I, you know, where I was doing design review, or if I was writing reports or, you know, I would, I wasn't on site all day, full days, every day. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was kind of a couple hours, most days, and then some days they were full days, but it was, you know, I had flexibility. I could write my reports from home. I could do, you know, a a design review or markup or whatever. I could do all that stuff from home. So it definitely um, depends on the position and what you're doing, you know, as to what flexibility is available.
1: And certainly COVID has changed a lot of things where there's more flexibility for everyone. Um, Yeah. So if you could wave a magic wand and change something that would make a significant difference in bringing women into construction, what would that be? I think it's
0: the perception of the industry because we have the old stereotypes that still exist and they are true to some extent. We're in the midst of, you know, changing these. And that starts with having strong leaders It starts with having a great leadership team. So it's changing the perception, but I think that perception needs to be changed based on the leadership within companies. So I guess that would be the thing that needs to change so that people can start actually being proud of the company that they work for and not just and actually enjoy going to work and enjoy contributing to something greater than just punching a clock. And I think that that's where we really struggle is that there's not... The possibilities that exist within the industry are endless. And I don't think enough people know about that. We all just see the dirty construction sites.
1: I agree. It's so much stuff. It's amazing. It's so phenomenal. It's and exciting. If like, I went back and had an
0: open mind as to mm-hmm. what I would want to do, I don't even know where I would start. I would definitely be in the construction industry. But like, there's just so much potential. There is. so many. a lot of the innovative... Asterisks technology things that are starting to get implemented. I I just think, you know, there's a place for everybody here and you will find a very rewarding career. Yeah,
1: just look at all the stuff that's happening with safety now. It's just, there's so much AI, technology, construction is kind of leading edge in a lot of places. It's just amazing. So what's your parting advice to contractors, designers, owners, construction managers, and tradespeople and the unions uh, out there who are listening uh, on, on what they might do.
0: I think that as business owners, one, in, in any one of those positions, one, your people are your biggest asset. You need to treat them like they are. If you want to keep, retain, attract people to your business, you need to treat them like they are your number one asset. And um, because the people coming up aren't going to put up with the same stuff that was put up with 40 years ago.
1: And that is a really big paradigm shift for a lot of people. I see particularly like unionized folks who have for generations uh, treated people like they were cogs in the wheel and don't have a really a bench to mm. that's their own bench. They feel like they could pick and choose and that is gone and gone forever. It that is. And that's, it's actually, I'll
0: just mention here because I did write a book on the hiring secrets and trades and construction. The reason that's exactly what my book is about is, you know, it, it doesn't say leadership in it, but it's demonstrating how you be a good leader within your construction business so that you are finding, hiring, and retaining top talent in your industry. Because I think that that's where we, we need to
1: step up as business owners. And I'll put a link for everyone in the show notes to get to the book. Thanks. <laughs> so how do people k- get a hold of you, Coralie?
0: Well, I'm easy to find because I'm one of one Coralie Beattie. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, not quite as active on Facebook. I'm also on uh, LinkedIn. And um, my website
1: is thrivehq.ca. And we'll put all of that in the show notes too. So if anybody wants to chat with Coralie about exploring her helping you get into the industry, or if you're a tradesperson and you were thinking about maybe starting a business, that's her expertise. So thank you so much for being with us here on Lead with Trust. Thank you so much, Sue. I really appreciate it. Okay, Construction Nation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. Will you do me a favor? If you think this episode can help anyone on your team or business, please forward it to them. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode and your honest review, hopefully five stars, is much appreciated. Every leader who learns how to build their business and projects on a foundation of trust is going to reap the rewards of greater productivity, attracting the best of the best, enjoying your business more, and doing things you thought were impossible. If you want to know where you are in your trusted leader journey, I have a free resource for you. Please just go to sudico.com profile, S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com profile. And you can grab it there and find out where you are on your trusted leader journey. And so that is a wrap for today. Can't wait until I get a chance to hang out with you again next week. And until then, have a great day.